0: then you are also recognizing that God is the author of your conversion. He is the one that has saved you. He is the one that has given you the very desire to be saved. He gave you the repentance to turn from the world, and he gave you the faith to believe on the Lord Jesus because God is sovereign. Then the question now comes, do you pray for the conversion of others? Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a privilege to be able to bring the gospel to you today. And I trust you will stay tuned with us as we look at this text in Psalm 2 and verse 8. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. This is a great missionary text, but it also has to do with the prayer life of our Lord Jesus. So that will be our main message from the pulpit of our church today. We'll have Al McGill to sing, Oh, Tell Me More. But firstly, we have a word on the judgment of this world. And I trust that you will stay tuned and that this message will grip your heart and bring you to a simple understanding of what Christ accomplished at the cross in his own death in his own suffering. Here and Let the Bible Speak, we always want to get to the cross. So stay tuned with us, as today we let the Bible speak on the judgment of this world. The Lord Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. John 12:31. Upon that world whose mask of culture and goodness had thus been torn off, and that had become exposed in all its wicked enmity against the living God, God poured out the vials of his wrath. The sentence of God's just wrath was executed against the sin of the world. Only in that hour of wrath and desolation, this same Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, proceeded to the place of execution, in order to represent his own, whom the Father had given him his own world of which he had been appointed, the head from before the foundation of the world, the world of God's everlasting love. For his own people and his own world were in that old world of sin and death and corruption, were one with that world, one in guilt and condemnation, and must be redeemed from it. And to redeem his own he, the Lamb of God, must take away the sin of the world. And to take away the sin of the world, he must willingly and obediently make his way to the place of wrath and judgment in the hour of the condemnation of the world, and there in his own flesh bear all the suffering and agony of the wrath of God to the bitter end. And so he went to the cross." O, oh, indeed, he was kneeled to the cross by wicked hands, and that the world, thus crucified the Son of God, is the everlasting condemnation of the world. Yet he made that cross his own, that altar upon which he brought the perfect sacrifice of himself, and God transformed the cross of men into the place of execution of his righteous wrath against the sin of the world, and poured all the vials of his wrath over the head of his only begotten Son. The world had been tried and exposed and condemned. The sentence was executed, but in the place of execution stood the Son of God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And so while the old world was judged and condemned, and the prince of that world was indeed cast out, deprived of all his power to reign, and the day will soon come when this condemnation of the old world and its prince will be finished and fully executed. The new world emerged from the terrible fire of this judgment, the world of God's eternal love in Christ Jesus our Lord." For he proved himself to be the obedient servant of jehovah even unto the bitter death of the cross and by his obedience he fully satisfied for sin and obtained an eternal righteousness for that new world whose eternal prince he is from the hour of the judgment of the world of sin he emerged justified in his resurrection from the dead and he ascended into heaven and was exalted at the right hand of God endowed with power to destroy the old world and to establish the new in eternal righteousness. And by the power of the faith he giveth unto us, we turn away from the world that is judged and condemned and are liberated from the bondage of its prince in order even now to become servants of righteousness under the lordship of the Prince of Peace. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him.
1: O tell me more, so much I need, His power to keep, His hand to lead. above Oh tell me more of Christ my Savior On this glad theme dwell o'er and o'er His boundless grace His saving favor His precious name Oh, tell me more, oh, tell me more, so much I need, his power to keep, his hand to lead. Until I see his face above. Oh tell me more, and I repeat the happy news shall spread the joy. Come, blessed Lord. Thy work completing till songs of praise our
0: lips employ. The Psalm 2 and our text today is the verse 8. Last Sunday I referred to this verse, Psalm 2, verse 8, this uh, text that has to do with the, the prayer life of our Savior the prayers of our Lord Jesus. Psalm 2, verse 8, it says, "'Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession.'" You may be asking the question, why pray? Why should we as Christians get on our knees and earnestly call upon God? because God is sovereign. God rules over everything. And if you believe that God is sovereign, then you will be a praying Christian. Do you thank God for your food? Well, you're recognizing that your food comes from God, ultimately. Uh, You have the health and the strength and the wherewithal to uh, find employment And therefore, to get rewarded for the work you do, that you may purchase the groceries that you put on your table. And all of that is the providence of God at work in your life. Do you thank God for your conversion, that you are now a born-again Christian, washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus? If you are thanking God for your conversion, then you are also recognizing that God is the author of your conversion. He is the one that has saved you. He is the one that has given you the very desire to be saved. He gave you the repentance to turn from the world. And he gave you the faith to believe on the Lord Jesus because God is sovereign. Then the question now comes, do you pray for the conversion of others? Family members, neighbors, friends, missionaries and their work and those to whom they minister. Do you pray for the nations of the world that they be converted? If you do, you are acknowledging on your knees that God is absolutely sovereign over the hearts of all men, women and boys, boys and girls in this world. In this Psalm 2, it is a chapter showing us that God is working to a plan. And you'll notice that it is a reference to a decree in the verse seven. I want you to look at Psalm two, verse seven. I will declare the decree. Decree? What's that? This Psalm is made up of a number of different speakers. In verses one through five, it refers to the heathen raging the rebels of this world who fly against God and who will not submit to his authority. And you have in verse 2, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord Jehovah and against his anointed, the Lord Jesus saying, let us break their bands. And so you have men in their defiance, in their rebellion, going against God. But in verse 6, you have God, Jehovah, appointing his king. Those kings of the earth in their rebellion will not bow the knee. But here now is God's king. And of course, verse 6, it is King Jesus. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And then verse 7, he talks about the decree. Decree here is simply God's plan, God's purpose, God's covenant of grace for all those who are reformed, for all those who understand the scheme of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation as God's one eternal purpose. It is revealed through Abel, Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Right through to the Gospels, the book of Acts, right on to the book of Revelation, God has one decree, the saving of a people under the headship of his own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in this verse 8, where the Father says to the Son, Ask of me. And that's where we get to the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus was to ask to pray to the Father. And I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for my possession. God the Father, referred to here as Jehovah, asserts his plan. He appointed his son to be the mediator of the plan. He is the firstborn, the right-hand man of God. He is the ambassador. He is the head. He is the redeemer, the savior of his people. And it tells us here in verse 7, thou art my son. This day, have I begotten thee. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that he is begotten? Well, it refers to his resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus, where God hath raised up his son and appointed him to be head of the church to all things. And he is now exalted in glory and set as the head of the church now in verse 8 the son is given a spiritual kingdom or a dominion they are referred to as the heathen for thine inheritance the word heathen here can be also translated nations Um, it is not a derogatory term to talk about something that you're a heathen it's not mentioned the term of a heathen dog it is referring to people of other nations. In fact, it would refer to Gentiles, Gentiles. To the Jewish mind, the heathen were the Gentiles. The people who were not born in of the line of Abraham into the Jewish economy or the Israelite nation, they were looked upon as the heathen, the people of other countries, nations. And the Lord Jesus is told here, to ask of the Father for the heathen, or the nations of the world, for thine inheritance. And so the Lord Jesus was to pray for souls. He was to pray for lost souls, souls of diverse backgrounds, peoples of all tongues, creeds and colors, and many souls. This is no small church we're talking about here. This is the multitudes that will be gathered in as a part of that kingdom. And so the father's reward of a son's work is to be claimed by prayer. Ask of me and I will give thee. And here we have the sovereignty of God over all the peoples of the world, and yet he is accomplishing his purpose by prayer. Some people have difficulty with those two things. God is absolutely sovereign, and yet he demands or requires that I get on my knees and pray for God to work out his perfect will, not only in my life, but in the lives of the nations of the world. But this is God's divine arrangement, and we see this through the Bible over and over. Men were to build altars, call upon the name of the Lord, and as in many such texts, call unto me, and I will answer thee and deliver thee. And so this is biblical doctrine. Uh, This is a truth that every one of us must face. God is sovereign. He's going to build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he calls upon us to pray. You and me to be on our knees regularly, constantly engaged in real earnest prayer For God to fulfill His plan. Now we're not going to pray that God will change His plan. We're not God, we're not asking God to do something differently than He has already put into practice or into purpose. He has already set the decree and this salvation that is all of God from A to Z, I have a responsibility to ask of the Father. Now, the great example of this is that the Lord Jesus, uh, this was a psalm written uh, in the days of David, a thousand years before Christ was born. The Lord Jesus did engage in earnest prayer. If you turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 17, you will see here how our Lord Jesus actually prayed. We're not told Jesus prayed. We are given the words he prayed. And how in this chapter 17... The Lord Jesus really fulfilled that command, Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. In the 17th chapter of John, what is sometimes referred to as our Lord's high priestly prayer, you have the petitions, the actual words that the Lord Jesus prays. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Can you see now that you have two entities, the Father and the Son? The Son is pleading with the Father. And he says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son. Now, all of this is in full agreement with God's plan. Because God appointed his Son to this work. And thou hast given him power over all flesh. God gave to the Son power or authority over all flesh, over all living things, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And so here is now the Lord Jesus engaging in prayer to his Father, on the very same terms as Psalm 2.8. And he's praying, glorify the Son, that you have given me power over all flesh. Now, Lord, it's time. And in verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, that's going to be very important when we talk about begotten son. When was our Lord Jesus begotten? We're going to answer that a little later. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. What is God's plan? God's eternal decree or plan is to save a people out of the world. God never decreed to save all men universally. God never purposed that every single person ever born of Adam would be one day in heaven. When God sent his son to the cross to die for sinners, he sent his son to die for a particular people whom God had chosen to eternal life. These are the people in view when the Lord Jesus is praying in John chapter 17. If We go down to verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And we could go down this chapter 17 and note how the Lord Jesus continued to pray. He prayed according to God's plan, God's program. He prayed for the actual people whom the father had given to his son. And here he is now asking, praying for his inheritance, the heathen, the people, the Gentiles of this world that they would be gathered in. Now, the prayer life of the Lord Jesus is marked by prayer every, every juncture along the way. When he was choosing his disciples, he spent a night in prayer. Before he went to the cross, he spent Gethsemane much in prayer, pleading with his Father. And so, while God is absolutely sovereign, and while he will carry out his eternal purpose, and there will be a people brought out of the world into glory— were to pray. It does not negate prayer. The prayer life of the Lord Jesus, punctuated by earnest petitions, asking the Father for the people that he had given him, shows us that it is the responsibility of God's people to pray. The Lord said, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. And so here is this baton passed on to us. Not only is the Lord Jesus to ask, but we are to ask. And if we do not ask, we will have not. We will not receive the very benefits and blessings God has in store for us. So prayer and the sovereignty of God in salvation go together. When God is going to gather in his people, he sets his church a-praying. As he did at Pentecost. Before there was the conversion of 3,000 people, there was the 10-day prayer meeting in the upper room. That's God's way. That's God's order. We want to see today how God's sovereignty in man's salvation and prayer go together. Firstly, God holds all blessings in his authority. God is sovereign and will have his creatures to ask for his mercies. We have a great example of this in the uh, request of Queen Esther. In the book of Esther, chapter 5, you have the queen going into the king and the king saying to her, Ask whatever you will up to half the kingdom. Up to half the kingdom. Now, kings were known for their might, their worth, their riches, their magnanimity by the wonderful gifts that they would give to their special friends and others. And so when Queen Esther was given this, he said to her, ask what you will up to half the kingdom. Now, such a statement, such an invitation to ask Exalted the king. It brought honor to the king. And likewise, when God the Father says to his son, ask, God's glorifying his name. And when he says to you and me, ask, God's getting the glory. We are attributing every benefit and every blessing from his great goodness and out of his wonderful resources. Herod offered the same to his, to Herodias. Uh, when whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And you know how she asked a very ridiculous request, the head of John the Baptist in a basket. And even though it was not something that Herod wanted to do, because he had made his vow, he made his statement, his promise, Herodias got her request and John lost his head. And so we have this example in the Bible of asking, honoring the very statements and the very promises of the king. John Newton wrote this in his hymn, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. And so as God says to us, ask, we are bringing honor and glory to the God of heaven.
2: You can contact us using our office number, which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel